this industry is way too personal and expensive and infrequent and complicated to eliminate the human aspect. I said that before I worked at Zillow. I said it when I worked at Zillow. Real estate agents will be around in some form, I think, forever. You're listening to the Real Estate Sessions podcast, and I'm your host, Bill Risser, Executive Vice President, Strategic Partnerships with Rate My Agent, a digital marketing platform designed to help great agents harness the power of verified reviews. For more information, head on over to ratemyagent.com. Listen in as I interview industry leaders and get their stories and journeys to the world of real estate. Hi, everybody. Welcome to episode 303 of the Real Estate Sessions podcast. As always, thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you so much for telling a friend. Today, I'm going back to the beginning. Yep. I'm going back to my very first guest, August 31st, 2015, nearly six and a half years ago. I convinced Jay Thompson to be my first guest on the first episode of the Real Estate Sessions podcast. I think I had a name picked out by then. I'm sure I did. And so I thought it'd be great to catch up with Jay. In 2015, he was still working for Zillow. He retired from there in 2018. A lot has changed. A lot of things have happened. And I want to find out about retirement, to be brutally honest. I think it's a very exciting time of, uh, of the life cycle. And I want to get uh, Jay's take on it. So we're going to get this thing started. Jay, welcome to the podcast. It's great to be here, Bill. Again. I don't know if you really mean that, but I'm really happy that you're here. I do. Look, I, I you were my first guest on the podcast. Do you know how long ago that was? Do you have any idea how long ago that was? I It's been a long time. I couldn't say for sure. How about August 31st, 2015? Nearly six and a half years ago, you were the oh first guy. I know. I didn't know it'd been that long. I would have said, you know, a couple, two, three years ago, not, maybe. Yeah, you're, and this is episode three hundred four, I think, maybe three hundred three. I'm not sure now. I might, I'm a little confused, but uh, you know, it was. Wow. Well, congrats on that. That's, well, yeah, thank you, thank you. I appreciate that's that. huge. Just sticking with anything for six and a half years is admirable. I don't yeah. care what it is. Anything. <laughs> you're right. good on, good on anything. You. Well, I appreciate that. It's 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 really. I said this before, this is not anything new to anyone listens to the show. I love finding out about people. I'm super curious about what makes people tick and how they got in this business and what are they doing in this business. And so, um, yeah, it's, it's just, I love doing this. So I will put, I will grudgingly put the link to episode one of the real estate sessions in your show notes for this episode. Um, but man, I got to tell you right now we're using Squadcast. We can see each other as we're recording this episode. I've got, I use Audition now with Adobe. It's just a much more powerful editing tool. Let me tell you what it was like on episode one. Uh, I'm also talking into this Sure microphone, which, you know, is a few hundred dollars. And, uh, yep. and so it's just a different episode. It's just, a, it's a different thing. We've grown up. That first show, I had earbuds in on my MacBook, and I recorded it on GoToMeeting, and wow. I uh, I edited it with iMovie. I just stripped the audio off, deleted the video, and edited the uh, an iMovie. Wow. So it's come a long way. You are grown up. <laughs> I'm all grown up on the podcast, yeah. What we're going to do today is I really just want to catch up on the last six and a half years because... Uh, you know, a few things have happened in your life. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. So, so let's, let's start with where I always start and that's trying to, you know, find out where you came from and how you got in real estate. But I'm going to, I know I can put you up to this challenge. We've did that already. It's, it's on the link in the show notes. If anybody wants to hear the real story, uh, the, the in-depth story of, of you getting to real estate, but you're just going to take me from, you know, pretty much, uh, you're out of school to you retire and I'll give you 45 seconds. Ooh. All right. So, you know, I was an agent. I was a broker. I went to work for real uh, Zillow and did that for six and a half years. So it must have been just kind of fairly new at Zillow when we did episode number one. And um, I retired in, depending on how you count it, I'll call it July of 2018. Okay. And that's what I did. <laughs> I mean, I've done a lot of stuff since July of 2018 yeah. that I think we're going to get into. Yeah. But, um, and you know, I use the word retired with air quotes, which you can see, but the people listening to the show can't see that. So it's retired with an asterisk. Let's, let's start right there, Jay. You are far from retired. <laughs> it's, I don't know how you even use that word. You, you sit on multiple boards. 
yeah, I, I, I've run into you at conferences where you're doing things, either speaking or um, you helped me out at a realtor's Florida realtor's bar camp. And then I just saw you at NAR, the, the annual with the Beverly Carter Foundation, one of the yep. boards you do sit on. So, yep. so let's, it's, it, I, I think I, I've come up with the term. It's like selective retirement. <laughs> do, you, do you have a better name for it? No, not really. Um, Cause it, with the air quotes work, I'm retired, but right. see we're audio now and the air quotes don't work. So you no. need a term and selective retirement works. Um, I've used retired ish, but you know, that's kind of lame, but <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess it depends on how you define retired. Okay. No, I don't sit on the couch and eat bonbons and binge watch Netflix all day long. Okay. okay. But I could never do that. I got to stay busy. Yeah. I, I, you know, that's true. But a, a lot of people listening to this podcast are right now going, yeah, but just sit in a kayak and you, <laughs> you, you, you float around and, and, and feed bonbons to fish all day. Kind of. I do. I do do that. Okay. <laughs> so I, I kind of like selective retirement and actually, you know what? Selective is a really good word for it because that's kind of exactly what it is. And that's the beautiful thing. I am, I guess I'm technically retired. Okay. I'm, I don't have a job, a, a regular, I'm not a mm-hmm. W2 employee anywhere. I do some consulting. I do some writing, but the beautiful thing, the selective thing about it is I get to pick and choose what I want to do. Right. I don't, have to work to pay the bills, um, which is kind of what retirement is, right? Mm-hmm. I don't go to work every day, but I get to selectively pick and choose companies, people, things that I want to do, which is really, really cool. If something comes along that piques my interest or I go, well, that's really cool or that's interesting or I can learn something or I can teach something doing this or that, then I get to selectively pick what I, I like selective retirement. It's all yours. <laughs> Or I'll take it. I'm, or, you know, when people ask you, say, "Well, I'm selectively retired." Yeah, that's that's the way you put yeah. it. Let and me go. What does that mean? And then next thing you know, it's an hour later. And well, that's yeah. true, but that's all right. Um, that's all right. There's got to be something you miss about being a full time, you know, employee or broker. Is there is there any part of it that you go, "Yeah, I kind of miss that," or is it like, "Hell no, Bill, what are you talking about?" Um, I miss employer subsidized health care. Ooh, okay. Um, because right. that's stupidly expensive to do on your own. As you know, I had a heart attack coming up on 10 years ago wow. when I was 51. Mm-hmm. And for me to get health insurance on the open market is crazy expensive. I mean, it's it's a couple thousand bucks a month just for me and Francie. Um, and back when I worked with Zillow, I paid, I don't, I don't remember, $150 a month for this insanely awesome health insurance. Right. Poof, gone with selective retirement. But I mean, on the less self-serving side, I do, I miss, I miss the people some, sometimes. Okay. I mean, I had, I, I'm a, I'm a people person. I love being with people, talking to them, working with them. Um, it was cool as hell at Zillow to build things with people. You put your blood, sweat, tears, and passion into it and, and it launches and it, it, works or maybe it doesn't work, but whatever. I miss, I miss the people aspect because selectively, you know, taking consulting gigs or speaking gigs or whatever it may be. I don't get that person to person real deep interaction. Like I used, I go, I have to go seek it out basically. Right. Yeah. That makes sense. As I, you know, head down that path uh, to that, to the R word, um, you know, I don't, I don't think I, I love what you're doing. I like the, I like the plan and the, the way kind of uh, maybe the, template you're setting up for people. Cause that's exactly, I think what I would do is find opportunities to, to, to be a part of things still. And yeah. I think that's great. Yeah. It's, it's awesome. When you made the decision to retire, you and Francie were, it was like a no brainer that you were going to be moving to the Gulf coast somewhere in Texas. You had been talking yep. about this for a long time. Am I right? Yep. You're right. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So let's talk about that, that, that part of it. It had to be exhilarating. I mean, you were leaving the Pacific Northwest, the cold and dreary, sometimes beautiful uh, Pacific Northwest to uh, a quite different experience. Quite a different experience. You know, and a lot of people are like, what the hell are they doing? Cause we picked up and moved in the middle of the freaking pandemic. Right. Yeah. And, and I could talk about this for the entire podcast session, but nobody wants to hear that. But Francie and I, when we got married over 30 years ago, now we were living in Austin, Texas, and we honeymooned in a town called Port Aransas, Texas, right on the Texas Gulf coast. 
I used to go to Port A, as it's colloquially known, um, back when I was in high school, because I went to high school in San Antonio. So that's where my buddies and I would go down to the beach and do what 18 and 19-year-olds do at the beach, right? Party and have a good time and, yeah. and that kind of thing. But I remember the first time I walked onto the beach at Port Aransas, I was with my best friend in high school, my future college roommate, who sadly passed away a few years ago. But we stood on that beach and I looked at him. And I said, Roy, someday I'm going to retire here because I just I'm always been a beach person and a water person. I said, this is it. This is the place. And I'm sure his response was, yeah, whatever. I mean, because we're 18 years old. Who knows? But then Francie and I, when we got married, that's where we honeymooned. We used to bring the kids down here. This area of the Texas coast is where people in South Texas, that being San Antonio, Austin, Houston, go to the beach. That's just kind of, and there's, I mean, Texas has a huge coastline, but Port Aransas was a big beach area. So Francie and I, at one time, back when we lived in Austin said, we're going to retire in Port Aransas because we just loved it. So the pandemic came, I mean, we always were going to move here eventually, but we got fed up, honestly. Seattle, gorgeous, like you said, during the summer, the six months of the year where you don't see the sun are painful for me because I'm a sun guy. Um, Francie, not so much. She got her fill of the sun being born and raised in Phoenix, (laughs) but we wanted to go to the beach. So our condo in Seattle had no exterior access. We were on the second floor, no balcony. We looked out over an alley. Now we were a two block walk from a beach, but they closed the beach during the pandemic. We were trapped in our condo. So we basically said, you know what? Screw it. We're moving to Texas. Like we've always talked about doing. We packed up our car, put Francie's bird in it. We have this cockatoo in the back of the car with a perch and paper everywhere so it could take a crap all over the car. And we drove for five days in the, and this was in a peak of the pandemic, you know, crap was shut down everywhere. We had to find hotels that would let us spend the night. Um, and when we drove down here, all we had was an Airbnb booked for a month right in this area. And we had, heard that Port Aransas, the beach-specific town we were interested in, had completely changed in 30 years. Imagine that. A town changes in 30 years. Yeah. In the time, it used to be this sleepy, dingy, dumpy little beach town that we just loved. Thousand people lived there, you know, a couple of hotels, and that was about it. Now it is full-blown resort. There's these giant condominiums, big, huge resorts for miles down the beach. It completely changed. People, drunk people driving around in golf carts, uh, Sounds like Florida a lot. <laughs> it, very much. And that was not really what we were looking for, right. but we still love the area. So we found, we started looking at houses. Texas has this long barrier island that yeah. borders the, on the Gulf of Mexico. Then there's this skinny, super skinny, hundreds of miles long barrier island. And then there's a bay area, saltwater. And then there's the actual Texas coast. So we found this little area across the bay from Port Aransas. And looked at a few towns around there, found an agent here who was amazing, and started looking at houses while we were shacked up at this monthly Airbnb fishing shack, basically. <laughs> and um, we, as soon as we drove into this subdivision in what is a Ranzas Pass, it's a, literally across a, a bridge and a sh- very short ferry ride from that poor Ranzas Beach town, we drove into this particular subdivision, and we'd looked at 15, 20 houses by then. Mm-hmm. And as soon as we drove through the gates of the subdivision, Francie and I looked at each other and said, this is it. This yeah. is where we want to live. Yeah. And we found this house here and we fell in love with it. And shockingly or not so shockingly, if you pay attention to the cost of living, what we sold our condo for, two bedroom, 1,200 square foot condo with an alley view north of Seattle is almost exactly what we paid for for this three bedroom, two bath, 2,100 square foot home, single family home with a yard on a canal with a dock and a boat lift. <laughs> for what, and it's just the cost of living difference between Texas and, and the Pacific Northwest. Yeah. It's huge. Yeah. And as selectively retired, see, I do like that. Uh, cost of living is a big factor. And I get to fish every day. Uh, I want to ask, let's stop right there. I, I, dude, I knew you for a long time in Phoenix. I mean, right? We met in around 2007, something yeah, like that. Yeah, something like that. Um, so we've known each other, let's say, 14 years. 
Not once in all those times we were hanging out at, at RET, the real estate tech tank, or at an event, or wherever we were at, not once did you ever say how much you liked to fish. And you, I never, you never went fishing when you were in Arizona, as far as I know. Well, did, is this like a, were you a closet fisherman? You just hiding it? Kind of. That's, that's a totally fair question because I've had other people ask me that. They're like, what's the deal with the fishing thing? Okay. I, my grandfather taught me to fish. He was a huge fisherman in Southern middle Tennessee. I'm like talking hillbilly country. Yeah. Beautiful. And he taught me, I went fishing with him when I was six, seven, eight. 10 years old as a very small kid and loved it back in. The problem with Phoenix, there's no place to fish in Phoenix. Now someone's going, Oh, there's plenty of places to fish. Okay. One, there's no place to fish saltwater, which is what I truly love to do. Okay. So don't tell me there is. Okay. Also I go out in my kayak here and I can float around. Like you said, for hours, try doing that when it's 125,000 degrees in Phoenix, right? <laughs> yeah, it's okay. miserable. Right. Yeah. Now, it's pretty toasty here, but it's not that blazing going to kill you. It was a long, long love that was lost for many, many years yeah. that I was able to recoup here. Let me ask you this. You, you've been asked this question, I'm sure, a thousand times like I have, maybe more. You know, you when you talk, when people say to you, oh, what's better, you know, Phoenix or you know, on the Gulf Coast, because I'm on the Gulf Coast as well, right? A little farther yep, south yep. than you. And I, I instantly say, it's way better here in Florida. There's nothing that compares to what happens in Phoenix, right? When it gets to 115, or my last summer there, the high was 118 one day. It See, physically just, hurts to walk outside. I don't care if I get soaked in sweat here. It never no, hurts. <laughs> exactly. And, I mean, and people are oh, in Arizona, oh, it's a dry heat. And you yeah. know what my response to that has been since I lived in that dry heat? Well, your kitchen oven is a dry heat too. It's very dry inside your kitchen oven. Turn your oven up to 120. Yeah. Okay, turn it up to 110. And put your hand And in then there. crawl inside of it and try to sleep <laughs> or live. It sucks. It. it is so hot. And you know what? It got... It just felt hotter and hotter and hotter every year. Maybe it's a function of getting old yeah. or just getting tired of it. Yeah. I mean, Phoenix heat kills people. Like literally. Yeah. People die. Yeah. You're right. It, it is so brutally hot. Yes. It's hot as Hades here sometimes. Right. Yep. Yeah. I it's, mean, well, it's never, never been over a hundred in Tampa ever, ever, ever. See, I think here it's been, I think the all time high is like 103. Yeah. And it hits it, you know, maybe once every, five or six or seven or 10 years. Yeah. But no, you don't get four months of 110 plus degree heat oh. every single year. So now we've upset all of our friends back in Phoenix. <laughs> <Yep>. Sorry. Because <laughs> nobody wants to move there now. And <laughs> they're not going to get any referral business. Oh, well. <laughs> one last question about retirement. I know that I'm fixated on this, but this is what no. I do here. I want to get the information. Have you been surprised, you know, other than the cost of insurance, have you been surprised by some feature of retirement, something you didn't even imagine like, oh my God, I'd guess what? This is part of this too. Um, that's a really good question. The first thing that pops in my mind is honestly, I was surprised and I don't know if it's directly related or retirement specific, but I was surprised how long it took me to wind down from work, mm. from working all my life. I thought, hey, I'm going to return. My last day at work at Zillow was July 3rd, 2018. And I figured on July, give it till the, you know, like 12th, right? <laughs> give me a week or two to get that out of my system. Um, it was really, really weird for the first, really the first two. It took me about two years before I finally one day said, I'm retired. And I'm sure people are like, well, no shit, you're retired. You've been retired for two years. But yeah. to feel that, to, to, I don't know, to lose that. I mean, I had literally worked every day since I was about 15 and a half years old doing something and to just cut that daily work off. It was, it was bizarre. Mm. Um, the re retirement itself. Um, I mean, a lot of people, when I talked about retiring, they're going to be, Oh, you're going to be so bored. Right. I had people, I think Brad Inman goes, I'll give you six months till you're back at work full time. And I'm like, I don't think so. And it's now, three and a half years and I'm still not back at work full time. It's not boring. I mean, sometimes if I sit and go, what did I do today? I'm like, well, I woke up and I went and sat on the porch and I read my book and then I wrote a little bit and then I took a nap. 
and watch some TV. <laughs> I'm like, my God, what a horribly boring life that Thousands is. Thousands of people are flipping you off as they listen right now. <laughs> yeah, it's really not. It's really not a bad life. Um, I love everything about Like I said, I miss the people. I miss the corporate subsidized health care. Um, but, I, you know, there was really no startling re- revelation other than it, how long it took me to lose that baggage, for lack of a better okay. word. For, That's fair. For, how, for, for the work life. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Is, is no, it does. Answer? I think that, uh, yeah, I think we all think that it'll just be like, woohoo, I'm free. Yeah. But it, it, it's it's just been such a long part of our lives. Yeah. It has. And I really think it's super important for future retirees, whether it's selective or full-blown retirement, whatever the hell that is, you've still got to stay busy you yeah. mean, in some way. Maybe it's fishing all day long. I mean, that's still staying busy. But I, I can't imagine just sitting on the couch, like I said, sit on the couch and binge watch Game of Thrones and then go to bed. Um, that I think would ultimately be, now, if you want to do that for two, three, four days in a row, then you knock yourself out and it's sure. awesome. Absolutely. But I think, I think it's really important to keep your brain exercised, yep. which is why I like the whole selective aspect of my retirement. Let's, let's talk about what you've been doing. Let's start with the Beverly Carter foundation. Mm-hmm. I think, um, you know, Carl Carter, I, I got to meet through a uh, relationship with Lisa Tyler at Fidelity. Yeah. I know you met Lisa. She was in the booth with you. and um, Yeah, um, she's on the board. Yeah. So talk about uh, what you're doing there and, you know, how people can help, if, uh, obviously. Absolutely. I, um, I'm not a big person on asking people for money. It's always really hard and awkward. But I'll ask for money for the Beverly Carter Foundation. And that's really what they need. It's a 501c. It's a nonprofit. And what the Beverly Carter Foundation does, Beverly Carter, some people will recognize that name. It's been since 2014. But in 2014, Beverly Carter was kidnapped. Went to show a home. She was a real estate agent, a broker in Little Rock, Arkansas. Went to show a home, never came home. Big search for her went on. It was all the, in all the real estate news. And very sadly, um, they found her body in a shallow grave like three days later, duct tape wrapped around her face, dead. This couple, a man and a woman, targeted her. This was not some random crime of opportunity. They set her, targeted her and set her up to kidnap her for ransom. And like I assume probably a huge proportion of kidnappings go wrong because the police get involved and this guy freaked out, went back to where they had her tied up and freaking killed her. And she was a wonderful woman. I never met her. I never knew her. Her children are, are two of the most amazing people I've ever met in my life. Carl, Carl. And I wish to God I'd never met Carl because the reason I met Carl was because his mom got murdered. Hmm. If she, if that had never happened to Beverly Carter, I never would have met Carl or his brother, Chad or Kim, Carl's wife, is an amazing human being, too. I wish to God I didn't know those people, but it did happen. And so Carl and Chad, the brother, to a little bit lesser degree, started the Beverly Carter Foundation to try to make something good come out of this horrible tragedy of losing their wonderful mother. So we focus on realtor safety. It's Actually, it started specifically on realtor safety. It's kind of grown into quote unquote, loan worker safety. Mm, So people that work alone, um, which there's a lot of, it's not just real estate agents in the real estate industry. Appraisers tend to work alone. Um, Inspectors, usually alone at a home. And there's other industries where, you know, I mean, I, I can't think of any off the top of my head, but there's a lot of people that don't, they're not staying behind a counter working retail, you know, in public, blah, blah, blah. So there's lots of safety issues with realtors. And what the Beverly Carter Foundation does is they do, training, awareness, they provide, there's like, you can go to beverlycarterfoundation.org and you can download all kinds of safety checklists and open house checklists and ways to be safer. Um, Carl speaks a tremendous amount. Um, The board members such as myself will also go to brokerages, associations, events, whatever, and talk about realtor safety. The problem is everybody wants to hear Carl because it was Carl's mom and he tells this compelling gut-wrenching story of his mom that you can really tie into realtor safety. I've heard him speak a hundred times and I'll admit it. I cry every freaking time. Yeah. I can't, I can barely tell a story without getting choked up. I don't know how the man stands on stage and talks about the death of his mother, yeah. but he does it. God bless him. 
and it gets people aware that there's an issue, but it's still, there's so much work that needs to be done, Bill. Some realtor gets killed or assaulted or raped, whatever it might be. And you'll see the reaction. Oh my gosh, we've got to make sure that this doesn't happen again. You've been saying that for 20 freaking years. Yeah. And it's not, it's nothing new. Now there's, and overall, the safety rate for agents is really good. But what the Beverly Carter did, it does and has done, and I'll try to get off of it so we can move on. No, but if you want to help them, go to BeverlyCarterFoundation.org and make a donation. I don't care if it's $2. Um, get them to come speak to your event. Nobody, I don't ever charge a speaker fee for the Beverly Carter Foundation. I ask people to donate. And a lot of, thankfully, a lot of brokerages and franchises and associations will make a donation to the organization to have a speaker come out. Anyway, that's how you can do it. Um, there's lots of good information on the foundation site. Have Ask us to come out and speak at your event because the more we can put it in front of people, I don't ever, none of us want to make people paranoid or afraid of what they do, but you've got to be aware yeah. that there's dangers. And there's lots of little things that you can do. We'll never get rid of it but we can certainly reduce the occurrence. The National Association of Realtors, often maligned, unfairly, I might add, but they've started a realtor safety committee. It started as a work group or something and elevated to full-blown committee status. So in no small part due to the work the Beverly Carter Foundation did. So that's a huge plus. September is Realtor Safety Month. So it gets a lot of press in September. That's the month that Beverly got kidnapped and killed. Um, but it's 12 months a year. So yeah. that's it. I'll sit on that board until they won't have me anymore because I really passionately think realtor safety is so important. Look, can you continue that work? Um, just don't, don't stop. I, I want to ask you some tough questions now. Then that's right. a tough question I just asked you, but I, I want to go into some things like, <laughs> I don't know if you pay attention to the news in the real estate world, Jay, but hundred percent. Yeah, good. There was a, <laughs> A company called Zillow uh, recently made a, a pretty pretty radical change in their business model and said we're out of the iBuyer business. Yeah, yeah. I'm just I just would love your take. Like, what do you? Sure. Yeah, I'll be happy. I'll tell you. I, first of all, I'm not under NDA with them anymore. If, if when you leave a company like that, you have to sign an NDA and non compete and all that. Long expired. So I have my stock options, but that's okay. So Zillow, in sometime roughly around mid October announced they were going to pause their iBuyer operation. They're not going to buy any more homes throughout through the end of the year. And I'm like, okay, that makes sense, I guess. they Maybe they're in too deep or something's going south, and they're just going to say, well, you know what? Stop, pause. We're going to figure this out. And then January 1st, back at it full force. And then it was like two weeks later in a, in a quarterly earnings announced statement that Rich Barton says, yeah, we're, we're shuddering Zillow offers. Pulling the plug, closing it down, turning off the lights, whatever you want to call it, gone, no more. I was like, holy shit. Um, it, it surprised me. Now, there's people out there, and you know, I dealt with some brand detractors of Zillow for a really? long time. Really? <laughs> I did. Yeah, okay. And, um, and immediately, of course, the haters were like, I knew this was going to happen. Bullshit. You didn't know that was going to happen. Nobody did. Um, you can argue, well, that model's not viable, blah, blah, blah. Oh, iBuying only works in an up market. Whatever. Nobody had a clue that Zillow was going to yank the plug on Zillow offers. It's not Zillow-like. It's not, to be honest, it's not Rich Barton-like. I mean, Rich Barton is one of the, probably one of the five smartest people in humankind ever. He is brilliant. And I'm on the record. You could go back and find it if you really wanted to saying I would never bet against Rich Barton. And I wouldn't. The guy, I mean, his his history, his legacy, it's unreal. He, Rich sits on the board of directors of Netflix, where I think he's been since day one, back when they shipped out videos, wow. because he is so tuned in to consumers and what they want. Rich Barton knows what consumers want before they know it. It's almost magical. I, it's yeah. freakish. Yeah. So smart. And it's very unrich like to just go, yeah, we're done. After really only, it started right before I retired. So less than three, three and a half, four years, less than four years after they started iBuying, he's like, I'm out. Now, obviously, Rich Barton is more privy to the numbers than I am, but I, it blew me away. It shocked me because yeah. 
and Rich Rich has said, and part of it, part of his mantra is you take big swings in business. You take big swings. And what happens when you take big swings? Same thing happens in baseball, right? What do big swingers, big hitters do a lot? They hit a lot of home runs and they strike out a lot. Um, And so not every swing Rich takes has connected, but to just, gosh, close the doors and walk away from that business, it baffles me, to be honest. And it just seems from my perspective as a small little peon compared to the people that manage and run Zillow, why not, I don't know, sell it to open door, uh, diversify, spin it off into its own separate business. There's a lot of things. It just, I was like, wow, just to shut it down. Hmm. Mm. I, baffling to me, but they did it. Here's one thing about it. You know, a lot of people, have, as soon as that came out, they wrote Zillow off. Ah, good. Adios Zillow. Finally, you're dead. Uh, no, they're, no, they're not. Okay. First of all, they're going to write off, million, maybe more for this, could reach into the billions. They're not going away, people. Rich has other plans. Trust me, Rich Barton, and and yeah, okay, he took a big swing and apparently complete whiff. Um, He'll do something else. And they'll go, they're doing, they still still have a website that attracts a shit ton of eyeballs. Yeah, yeah. It's It's worth a fortune in and of itself. That wasn't affected one iota. Nope. Nope. And people, and some of the agents are like, oh, see, the consumers aren't going to trust Zillow now. 99.99999% of consumers don't have a clue about iBuying or that Zillow did it. They they still go to Zillow.com. Yeah. And they still click on buttons that say contact an agent. Zillow will not, I'm not saying they'll never go away. Nobody's ever too big to fail. I mean, you know, there's been big giant companies that have shut down. I mean, I used to work at Motorola, which was huge for decades. Now you can barely figure out what they do. But it, don't be cheering the demise of Zillow. It's too soon to do that. I'm, I'm still a fan of the company. It is a completely different company than it was when I left three and a half years ago. I mean, the whole C-suite is different. Even the VP and lower leadership level, almost 100% different than when I was there. The business model up until they shuttered iBuying was completely different. Um, but they're, they're, they've got too many smart people there not to figure out something else. They're, they're, not, they're not walking away from real estate. They walked away from iBuying, which shocked me. But yeah, what do I know? Let's talk about another uh, company that you you were connected to, and that is Glenn Sanford's EXP. I yeah. I remember I, I was wearing uh, my my Spider um, Ari Barkamp shirt the other day, the blue sleeves. You remember that one with the white? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, so all of the Phoenix Ari Barkamps that uh, we were a part of, uh, you know, you were the the main organizer, and there were a bunch of people that helped, and it was really fun. And I remember Glenn. Buying up, buying a bunch of drink tickets for the Salty Senorita. Yep, like yep. months before he released EXP, he was right in the middle of that process at yeah. that time. It was very it was a cool. long time ago. Yeah, it was a long yeah. time ago. And so, talk, I'd love your take on on the success of of the model that he created. You know, uh, just didn't didn't wasn't happy with profit sharing, and decided I I need to find a way to do revenue sharing and make it work and make it scale and do all that great stuff. And yep. It really appears he has because now we've got competitors popping up that are using that same model and growing quickly. Yes, they are. Uh, yeah, it's super interesting. So I'm, my license is still hung with EXP. Mm. I'm, I'm EXP Realty Agent number 95. Wow. And now they've got 60,000 agents? Yeah, pushing a little over 60. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, it blew up. Long story and try to leave all the details out. When I went to work for Zillow, Francie and I still ran and managed Thompson's Realty, independent, small independent in Gilbert, Arizona. And the plan was for me to be in Seattle and flitting around the country for Zillow. And Francie would run Thompson's Realty until our daughter graduated from Arizona State. And then she'd move up to Seattle. That lasted like six months because it sucked. We were living this long distance relationship. And for whatever reason, she adores me. Um, So it just, it was no good. So we, Francie and I had this conversation one night. We said, this isn't going to work. So we either, we've got to get Francie to Seattle full time, which means we either need to close Thompson's Realty, sell it, merge it with somebody. We got to do something with it. 
and we didn't know what to do. And I swear it was like two weeks later that I ran into Glenn Sanford at some event. I don't remember what. And he walked up to me and he goes, can I talk to you for a second? I'm like, sure. And we go over off in some corner while someone's blabbing away on stage. And he said, have you ever thought about merging your brokerage with somebody? And I was like, dude, were you listening to my conversation with Francie two yeah. weeks ago? I'm like, yes. And he goes, merge with EXP, please. And I'm like, okay. I mean, there was a little more talk around it, but that I, I and I'm, I liked the model then. Not, I didn't really care so much about the revenue share. I liked the virtual aspect of it, right? right? No brick and mortar. You were doing that's what that. Thompson's Realty yeah. was. Yeah. I, Thompson's Realty was doing it before it was cool to do. And, um, and, but then, so obviously I started learning more about the revenue share model and I never, and I'll be honest and I've said this before, so it's not a secret. When we merged Thompson's Realty with EXP, we got a little tiny piece of, of, um, um, what's, what's it called? Uh, equity? Partial owners. Equity. Thank you. That's what I was looking for. <laughs> got a little equity. Yeah. Not much. And, you know, I looked at Francie. I said, look, we, we got to do something with Thompson's. They're virtual, just like we are. It's kind of the same thing in that sense. You know, our agents don't have to go in office and don't have to go sit in a sales meeting, blah, blah, blah. And here's our opportunity. We can merge with EXP. It'll take all the brokerage crap off your plate. You can move to Seattle. Our agents can come with us if they want to. If they don't, they're licensed. They can go hang in their license somewhere else in 10 minutes. Right. So that's what we did. And because I believed in the model then, as it turned out, the equity t- turned out to be pretty lucrative. I mean, it wasn't ridiculous amounts of money, but it's a gigantic factor in being able to re- retire. Most people seem to assume that Zillow paid me too much, and that was what let me retire. I mean, Zillow pays very well, and they have 401ks and all that. But having a little equity as agent number 95 in EXP made a big difference. Yeah. Anyway, so... That model, that first of all, the virtual aspect of it, super smart. I thought it was, that's why I did my broker. It's the biggest line item on any, on most any broker's balance sheet is overhead. It's the building, it's the printers, it's the office space, it's the water bill, the electric bill, all that kind of stuff. I was able to open a Thompson's Realty branch in Tucson for like $140 because that's what it cost me to join the association and get an MLS membership down there. Yeah. That's what it costs to open an office where I was based in Phoenix in Tucson. I had to find the right person and I found it in house chip, Kelly Kohler. Remember Kelly? Yeah. Yeah. Kelly Marsh. Now Kelly Kohler then she yeah. got married anyway. Um, so think of that. I opened a separate real estate office in another city. Maybe it was 300. It was insanely cheap. Yeah. It was less than $500. It literally membership and association MLS. That's all I had to have because I didn't need a building. Now the revenue share is a whole different aspect of EXP. And a lot of people think, well, Glenn used to work at Keller Williams. He just stole Keller Williams model. Keller Williams profit sharing. EXP is revenue sharing. There's a big difference. And a lot of people lump them together, think it's the same thing. Go take a balance sheet 101 course. Profit and revenue are two very different things. Yep. KW doesn't pay off unless there's a profit. EXP revenue sharing means they pay straight off the top and EXP got a bad rap has a bad rap in some ways about their aggressive recruiting tactics. Glenn knows that their leadership team knows that they are doing things to try to minimize that part of it's the nature of the beast. If I go out and recruit a hundred agents and if they're just marginally successful, I get, checks deposited in my checking account. There are still 10 Thompson's Realty agents almost seven years later that went over to EXP and stayed there. And I still, to this day, money just shows up in my checking account when they close deals. Yeah, it's all aggregated. Once a month, I get a check from EXP, a deposit. I'm like, well, this is cool. I know people that have built downlines there of hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands of people. Right. They're probably making six to seven figures a month on their revenue share. Mm. Hey, that's very tempting. Um, yeah. I was not a big recruiter. I'm in Brian Colhane's downline, and Brian was one of the guys at Bark. Brian was serving out drink tickets at Bar Camp. Yeah, he was. Yes, he was. <laughs> and he has told me for years, he's like, Jay, you need to open up your Rolodex of industry contacts 
and get him to come over. That's just not who I am. Yeah. It's just not in my core. I'm not a recruiter. I'm not come join the club. Um, there are many times I wish I did. Um, there are some very successful agents that I talked to about EXP. And plus I couldn't do it at Zillow. To me, it felt like this weird conflict of interest. Yeah. I, I'm, Zillow probably wouldn't have cared, but I, I didn't feel good with it. But many, I've got many good friends that now have serious downlines at EXP that if I had really worked it, I probably could have them in my downline. Um, there's some regret there, but that just that opportunity works. Okay. The virtual side of it works. The revenue share side of it works, you know, and then the question comes, can, can EXP scale? Well, they've already scaled from I'm number 95 to 60,000. I think Glenn stood up at some event, maybe it was EXP con recently and said, we're going to grow to 500,000 agents. Yeah. And somebody, because I write for him and they asked me my opinion on that. And my opinion was, no, you're not going to grow to five 500,000 agents, not because you're EXP or what you do or don't do. I don't think any one brokerage can get one third of the market share of real estate agents. Yeah. I, I don't think there's enough agent bodies for any one brokerage to get to 500, but can they get to, you know, a hundred thousand, 200,000, 300,000? Right. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. Because I, I know that EXP has some, you know, the production has to be there. They're not just bodies. They have to get hit certain levels. And that, that, right. that feels like the limit. But, but then again, once again, I'm not going to doubt Glenn. <laughs> Glenn's Glenn is a really, really smart yeah, guy. Yeah. So it'll be, and, fun, it'll be fun to watch that play out. I it think. will be fun. Yeah. He's, a, you know, he's a billionaire, right? Yeah. And I'm not, that's not a secret. No, I mean, no, it's publicly traded. Holdings, yeah. His holdings are public information. The man's a billionaire uh, yeah. a few times over. Yeah. And I mean, and then you, like you said, you look at real and some of these other places right. that have kind of spun off same kind of model. Look at everybody, you know, I think of those, those other models go, Oh, I found one little thing we can do better. You know? And so that, that, that's how things change in this business. Iterating that's how Remax on. came along and, and, and started, you know, yeah. 100%. And Kelly Williams. Right. And, K- and KW came along and said, we're going to tweak it a little bit here. And so it's just the natural progression of the business. Uh, it's just kind of cool to be a, part of it and to see this happening yeah, yeah so that's cool so you you watch the business closely you're a, you're a contributor with inman you know and you get to i know you love to write i mean we talked about phoenix real estate guy many t- a long time in the first episode let's talk about your prediction what's going to happen in the business what's coming that we don't know yet is there something out there yes there is all right i don't know what it is okay <laughs> but I guarantee you, there's somebody you scare somebody, up a guess. <laughs> somebody somewhere is thinking of something. Yeah, because they always are, and that's kind of what's one of the cool things about this business. Yeah, uh, you know, my immediate immediate thoughts on the business: couple things. I buying is not going away, despite what Zillow did. Right, Zillow pulled the plug. Open door, uh, uh, offer pad. Yep, still chugging along. Yep, that model. That concept will work for a selected segment of home sellers and buyers yep. forever. Um, I don't. I never thought. I mean, I said it even when I worked it. I said it sitting in a Zillow meeting when they first announced it. First, when they said because it was right, I'd already announced my retirement, and then I got pulled into some meeting, and they're like, "We're going to start buying and selling homes." I can guarantee my head dropped onto the desk and pounded it a few times, and I thought inside my head, "I'm like, thank God, I'm leaving." Now, because this job that I have is going to turn to shit when that comes out. Yep. Um, and yeah, because then not long after that, we're getting brokerage licenses. And again, I was like, oh, my God. Um, anyway, it's not going away. But I said in some Zillow meetings, because there was talk of all kind, you know, I think Rob Hahn said 50% of transactions would become would be through an iBuyer. Maybe it was Zillow. Lots of people have thrown out numbers 50%. I'm thinking on the 10% level, kind of like Fizbo's, yeah. about 10%-ish yeah. of the real estate market will be transacted through iBuying. So 5.5 like 5 million, 5. <laughs> million homes, that's like 500,000 homes. It's it's it's, it's a significant, it's a big I number. guarantee you there's not an agent out there. It's a huge number. Is there an agent out there that says, hey, would you like 10% of the national market share? Uh, sure. Sure. Yeah. Sign me up. Yeah. Um, so, and it serves a purpose, right? There are people, you know what, if there, if I could have, I had an iBuyer buyer buy my condo in Seattle, I'd have been all over it. Mm. They, they just weren't in that market. I, don't, right. I still don't think they're in the Seattle market because of the, that kind of market. There may be somebody doing it now. Three years ago, there wasn't, wasn't an option for me. Would I have taken it? 
Yep. Would I have left some money on the table? Maybe. Yeah. But you know what? I was living 2,200 miles away and I don't want to screw with it. Fortunately, I had a great agent that took care of all kinds of crap for me, but I would have been all over. There are, I, my grandmother, may she rest in peace, willed her five grandchildren this rental property that she'd had for decades in little Podunk, Tennessee. And we didn't want to mess with it. We didn't want to deal with rent. We wanted to sell it. Right. So now you've got five grandchildren scattered all over the country. This was 30 years ago, trying to sell a home. It was a giant pain in the ass. If we could have clicked a button on a website and said, give me an offer, yeah. Mr. And Mrs. iBuyer, all over it. That'll always be there. So iBuying's not going away. It'll be here in some form. Yeah. Uh, my biggest thought on the real estate industry right now is this whole department of justice and these lawsuits, the whole divorcing the buyer broker and the seller commission and, you know, disengage, you know, undetangling those that's going to be huge. Yeah. Potentially. I don't know who knows what the DOJ is going to do, but NAR and others keep getting sued over antitrust issues. It's got to accumulate into something. Yeah. Something's going to change. Yeah. Um, and I don't know what that, I think that's could have a very significant effect. Not necessarily on how real estate's transacted, but um, well, I mean, yeah, I guess it does boil down to how it's trying to how. Yeah, that's a big deal. If the buyer has to pay the buyer's agent, isn't there a massive impact in the lending industry then as well? Because can they yeah. hold into the loan, and how does that look, and what does that do? And yeah, it'll change. Changes it, all could change a lot. Yeah. It changes a lot of different things. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. So there, that just that gets my head spinning. Uh, you know, but is somebody out there? You know working on the secret sauce to like eliminate agents. I honestly don't think so. Yeah. I don't, there, there may be less agents. Um, there probably should be less agents. Um, but this is, this industry is way too personal and expensive and infrequent and complicated to eliminate the human aspect. I said that before I worked at Zillow, I said it when I worked at Zillow, real estate agents will be around in some form. I think, Forever. Now, will that f- change and morph? A hundred percent. The whole DOJ thing may change how they're paid. I don't know. Um, there may be, who knows how, and it will change. It's not going to, I look at how different it was than when I started selling, when I got licensed in 2004, there was yeah. barely any internet then. Yeah. I mean, it was there, but just barely. God only knows what's coming down the pike. Something's coming. <laughs> I just don't know what or when, but something. It always does. Jay, I'm going to let you go. I mean, this has been great. <laughs> I I don't know. Maybe it'll be episode 600 where I bring you back. Maybe earlier, I think. I won't wait that Very long. Um, but let's, <laughs> I, I'm going to ask you the same question I asked you six and a half years ago. And I, I imagine I'll get a slightly different answer. I will see. But what one piece of advice would you give a new agent just getting started? You know, and I'm so glad you asked this question. It's one of my favorite parts of your podcast. And I'll, I'll admit, even to you, that sometimes I just fast forward to that point. <laughs> not very often. No problem. <laughs> um, I, I have not listened to every episode. I've listened to more than half, nice. for sure. Sure. And sometimes I'll just listen to bits and pieces. But I'll bet you there's been 10 or 15 times where I just honestly didn't have the time. And I'm like, but I want to hear what, I want to hear how they answer the one piece of advice question. Um. It's a great question. And my first answer on episode one was answer the phone. And I thought about that for this podcast. Like, I know he's going to ask because he's asked 304 other people that question. Here it comes. And that's still super important. And then I kind of wanted to channel, this will prove to you that I listened to your podcast. I kind of wanted to channel Matt Beal and say, you should meditate. Because that when he said that, I'm like, that dude nailed it. That's the answer. That's the answer I've been waiting for. Meditate. Because I know some people are like, meditate? What? That's worthless. I started meditating several years ago at Matt's workshop conference. Nice. Was where I learned to do it. Nice. Or I got interested in it. And it is so powerful. It, and it's so important to have work-life balance. But if I, if honestly, I'm going to answer that question now, what one piece of advice would I give an agent? I've been on this customer service tear forever. I've got a post in Phoenix real estate guy that I went to a conference at the Broadmoor Hotel in Colorado Springs and talked about the experience I had at the Broadmoor. It, it's amazing. I like walking to the Broadmoor at two o'clock in the morning 
And some guy, you know, buffing the floors with a big old buffer, turns it off, looks at me and goes, Mr. Thompson, is there anything I can do for you? And I'm like, how does the guy buffing the floor at two in the morning know my name? Yeah. That was just cool. Yeah. And I love these. And I, for years, I've been calling it customer service. And then I was at this Cape Cod MLS board meeting two days ago, and they had a speaker, and he said, it's not customer service that matters. And I'm like, oh, this guy's an idiot. He goes, it's customer experience. You need to provide a great customer experience. And it kind of clicked. I'm like, why did it take me 14 years to realize that it customer service basically means you'll do anything and everything to make your customer happy? And that sounds good on paper, but that will literally kill you. Um, if you're not careful, you can't do everything. There are some things you shouldn't do. You shouldn't just take any commission check you can get, right? Yep. Not all money is good money. That speaker even said that. Yeah. Um, but provide a superior customer experience. I even wrote it in that post about the Broadmoor. I said, I want Thompson's Realty to be the Broadmoor of real estate. I was saying provide the ultimate customer experience. I just didn't have those two words to put with it. Right. So that's. My piece of advice for any and every agent, not just a new agent, a grizzled veteran, you got to get out there and provide a superior customer experience. Love it. That's how I'm going to answer. Love it. Jay, uh, if people want to reach out to you, what's the best way for them to do that? Because we can't get you in the Facebook group anymore. <sighs> no. Um, email me. Honestly, I'm still yeah. an old-fashioned email guy. Jay Thompson, all one word, you know, first name, last name, J-A-Y-T-H-O-M-P-S-O-N dot home at gmail.com. It's kind of an awkward email address, but I, I had a, it, it made sense when I made it and now I'm just yeah. kind of stuck with it. Let Jay me ask Thompson, you, how many, oh. G, how many Gmail addresses do you have? Oh God. <laughs> uh, at least a dozen. Yeah. I'm just curious. I, I knew there was a big number there. Uh, yeah. Well, Jay, this is, this has been awesome. Thank I mean, really appreciate it. It, uh, and I, I probably did wait too long, but I'm glad we had the chance to sit down and, and, um, and kind of go over this, these wonderful years you and Francie got to spend and continued, you know, success and continued health, good health. And can't wait, Thanks, to, can't wait to come visit you and have you and Francie come visit us because absolutely the museum of creative arts or, and, and stuff is, we got a museum here for her. So. And see, you have, you have stuff like that. I have, I live in a town of 8,000 people. <laughs> this is small town podunk texas yeah, right yeah it'll be different than tampa yeah but true. it's still coastal and gulf and yeah we need to do that for sure nice thanks for having me it's been great thank you for listening to the real estate sessions please head over to rate this forward slash re sessions to leave a review or a rating and subscribe to the real estate sessions podcast at your favorite podcast listening app